If I were to say to you, who is a certain person? If I were to say to you, who a, ask you who a certain person was, and I told you the name, most likely very few, if any people in this room would recognize the name. The name, the French name, Francois Marie Arouette. That does nothing for any of you. It's all right, but have to. Because the person that I'm talking about went by a different name that might mean a little more to you. It may still not. But his pen name was Voltaire. And in the 1700s, Voltaire was one of the most famous or infamous, depending on who you talk to, writers of the Enlightenment period. He was critical of many things, the church in particular, more specifically the way the church and the government were sort of connected each other in the country of France. But while extremely smart, extremely intelligent, he didn't always have a lot of friends. But when his life was near its end, his last words were, now is no time to make new enemies. Now, the reason I say that is for no other reason than to say that Voltaire, who spent a lifetime making enemies, saw his life end just like everyone else does. Now, you can look for famous last words of people. George Strait even had a song about it, I believe. But you can look for those famous last words, but most people don't really have famous last words. And some people probably have famous last words that are attributed to them that really they didn't say. You know, it makes them sound a lot smarter, makes them sound a lot wiser whenever those are uttered. Today we are going to look at the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And Jesus' sayings are spread across four different books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And some of these appear in one book, but not in the others. But they're recorded as things that Jesus said while on the cross. And what I want us to think about while we are looking at this is would we be able to say the kinds of things when we were near death as Jesus said? Because we're going to look at seven sort of different categories of things that Jesus said. I picked the reading that Jimmy did a moment ago for a reason. Because the reading that Jimmy read was very critical of Jesus. It was the story of Jesus being put on the cross. It was the sign that was hung above him. This is the king of the Jews. And this was the people walking by him saying this or that about him. You claim to be this. You claim to be that. You said you would tear down the temple and in three days build it back. But you're hanging here dead on the, or about to die on the cross just like everybody else. 
There were people, the Bible says in Matthew right there, that wagged their head at it. We've probably all wagged our head at people before. I cannot believe we've all done it, right? The ability to say what Jesus says, considering that the crowd was very much against him, is what I think is really impressive. And what I think will be interesting for us to look at today. So let's start with the first. Seven sayings of Jesus. Number one. Forgiveness. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we read, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now think about that for just a second. Forgiveness. In a spot that Jesus was in, where he didn't really have to be, he didn't need to be, hadn't done anything wrong, he's asking God to forgive the people who would treat him the way that he did. Now, we know in the story that there's two people crucified, one on either side of him. And we might say those people were described as being criminals, right? They're described as being, you know, as, as people that at least the Bible would imply that they were dying because they had done something wrong. You might say, well, that person on either side should have said, I forgive the men or the women or the families or whoever it was that they had wronged. But it seems odd that Jesus would be forgiven because Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. But Jesus asks forgiveness from those people even while they were killing. And the reason is, is that forgiveness is at the heart of everything that Jesus talks about throughout his ministry. We have been spending some time in our Sunday school class in the morning, Will and I, talking about sort of Jesus coming through life. And today, Jesus was tempted. And after that, that's when Jesus is going to go out into the world uh, preaching and teaching. And when he went, forgiveness was at the heart. For one, in Luke chapter 9, we read about, he says he didn't come to destroy, but to do what? He said he came to save. He came to forgive. But this was not an unconditional forgiveness. In John chapter 8, says if we don't, in John 8, 24, if we don't believe in him, we would die, he would, you would die in your sins. And in Luke 13, 3, it says unless you repent, all, you shall also likewise perish. So it wasn't an obvious guaranteed you're going to get, you know, no matter what you do. But Jesus said that even if you have done wrong, even if you have treated others poorly, even, dare we say, if you've put me on the cross, you'd still have the opportunity of forgiveness. Well, maybe this is just Jesus kind of talking out of his head. Well, not really. Because when Jesus dies at the end of Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, the next book in the Bible is the book of Acts. And if you read into the second chapter of Acts, so not very far, Peter is preaching to these same people that had killed Jesus and tells them that they could repent, they could be forgiven. Now think about that for just a second. Peter is an apostle of Jesus. Peter has seen Jesus put to death, and he knows the people who were the putters to deathers of Jesus. And he offers them forgiveness. They told Peter, they shouted, shouted down is not the right word, but they stopped Peter's sermon. And said, what can we do to be saved? Right then and there. 
because they realize the wrong. But Jesus has that forgiveness offered to everyone. That's number one. Number two, Jesus offered some words of salvation. In Luke 23, verse 43, famous words here, he says, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me, with me in paradise. You know who he's talking to here. We talked a minute ago about the people that were on either side. The one man is kind of critical of Jesus. The other man, the thief there on the cross, bandit, whatever word we want to use, says, do you not know who this is, in effect? Jesus tells him, he says, because of what he, the, the, the guy, the thief that's there beside him, he repents and acknowledges his belief in Jesus. It's reasonable to think these people that were being executed beside Jesus knew who he was. Jesus was no stranger to these people. They knew who he was. But this man that was here on the cross realized that confession was an important part of it. He recognized who Jesus was. And he looked at Jesus and he confessed what it was. Confession is an integral part of salvation. Can we be saved without confession? We can. We read in Romans chapter 10 verse 10 that. But also we read Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 and 33 that if we will confess Jesus, what will he do? He will confess us. And so salvation, words of salvation, Jesus spoke on the cross to that man beside him that said, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I have heard people argue and fuss and spend a lifetime questioning this verse. You're missing the point here. The point here is that Jesus was saying to this man that salvation could be his right there. I don't know why, but here's the thing. We've talked about this some on Wednesday nights. We have biases. We have things that affect our judgments right there. Jesus was hanging on the cross, but he wasn't dead, and he extended salvation to that person. After Jesus dies, we hear what salvation requires. That's something different. Jesus was already gone. There's no more Jesus hanging beside me and you on the cross. That offer doesn't extend to us anymore. But he taught how we would be saved. Number three. Words of affection. Dad was talking there a moment ago about things that little kids give to you. And one of the things that we appreciate with that are tokens of, we would say, affection, right? Things that matter to us. Things that are important to us. And we appreciate affection from other people. And that may be a hug or a kiss or it may be a high five or it may be a note or it may be a text message. It could be any of those kinds of things. But affection is something that shows how we care. Jesus was hanging on the cross, and I think you can argue that he had shown affection for the people below him and the people beside him, but more specifically, in two different verses, he shows affection for his mother. In John 19, verse 26, Jesus says, Woman, behold your son. Mary was there with some others there uh, 
in the crowd at the base of the at the base of the cross, however you want to describe it. And he says it again in 19, verse 27, behold, your mother. Jesus was concerned about his mom. When Jesus' life was over, his mother's wasn't. She was going to have to live, and she was also going to have to live with the fact that people had killed her son. And that could have been potentially problematic for her as well. They could, could have tried to kill her. Who knows what it's going to be. But instead of worrying about himself, he was more worried about his mom and making sure that she was taken care of. Okay, so those are words of affection. Well, that's understandable because if I was in a bad situation, I would be very concerned about my mom and I would be quite concerned about you all, but I probably wouldn't be as concerned about the dentist next door. I don't, I don't, that's not where I go to the dentist and I don't know him. Right? We have people that we would be extremely concerned about, maybe some, but not. But throughout the gospel, we see affection from Jesus. Why was Jesus doing miracles? Well, as one, as a way to preach and teach, but as another way, as a result of his compassion. Think about the people that were sick, the people that were hurting, the people that were injured, the people that had ailments and afflictions, withered hands, didn't have the ability to see, demon-possessed. All of this because he cared about them. That's a show of affection. He had compassion on the multitudes, preaching, healing. And not only that, we read in John chapter 11 that Jesus also was moved to tears by the people. When Lazarus dies, the Bible seems to describe Lazarus and his sisters as almost like Jesus' best friends in the world. We don't really think about that. We think about Jesus being the Son of God, but he wasn't any different than me or you. There are people that you and I are extremely close to. When Lazarus dies, eventually a couple of days later, Jesus goes, and when he goes in, is sitting Mary and Martha, they're sad. And the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest, word, shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept, right? Because he was saddened at the loss of his friend. There was affection there within Jesus. Even in his dying moments, as we said, Jesus shows affection for his mom. But he showed affection for us as well. Because by going to the cross, that love for us gave us an opportunity when our life was over. Number four, we see words of anguish appear on the cross as well. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 34, we read, this is the Aramaic version here. I've heard it pronounced a hundred different ways. But Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthai, I even did a Google search on that to see exactly how you would pronounce it. And it's a little bit tough to be able to pronounce. But these words are translated as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is an interesting set of words until we remember that Jesus was human. Most of us can stand very little in the way of pain. Here's how I know. 
How many of you have ever had a paper cut? And it hurts like crazy, right? Nothing hurts worse than a paper cut. And it's just barely there and it's tiny and thin and it'll be grown over by the next day. But when that happens, it hurts like crazy. We were at school last year and I, paper, I got a paper cut on my finger passing something out to the kids. And a minute or two later, I squeezed some hand sanitizer onto my hand. That's just alcohol. I rubbed it in and it went straight in to that open wound right there. Wound, like I, I say that, like I've been stabbed, right? It hurt like, it was like, I had to sit down for a minute. Like y'all just work amongst yourselves for just a moment. We all can relate to anguish, but it doesn't take much for us to feel sort of that suffering that's there. I cannot relate to what Jesus had went through. I can't relate to it physically or mentally, and those things are both there. There was mental anguish and there was physical anguish for Jesus in both. Reason being here, on this day, Jesus took the guilt of my sin and your sin on him. Now think about that for a second. People that are accused of crimes are tried and put, to, put in prison or, or whatever if they're found guilty. But they don't have to serve the other people's time. They serve their time. My expectation, if I did something wrong, is I would have some kind of punishment. But I don't think that if Jimmy does something wrong, that I have to serve Jimmy's time as well. That's a little too much, right? Jimmy did wrong. Jimmy needs to deal with that. Well, the problem with that line of thinking is, is that every man for himself. Jesus took on the sins of everyone there in the process. In fact, we read the Bible that God has to turn away because he couldn't look at sin. We'll see that a little bit more in just a, in just a minute. The God had to turn away and the darkness and the veil was torn and all of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah 53, 6, if we go back to the Old Testament, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These verses show that Jesus had to suffer, had to deal for all, had to deal with the sin of all of us. There's a lot of anguish that's there. Now I said the word just a second ago, but I'm going to go now to the next one. Jesus also spoke words of suffering. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, it says, I thirst. Will and I talked about this in our class this morning. When Jesus was baptized, the first thing that he does is he goes out into the wilderness. 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. And he's tempted three different times. And you know the story. The first time that, that he's tempted, Satan says, turn these rocks into bread because you're hungry, which Jesus was. <clears throat> the second thing, they go to the top of the temple and he says, jump down because the Psalms have said that the angels will come in and save you. Won't even scrape your foot. And the third time, he goes up to the top of the mountain and says, you can have all of this. Well, why was Jesus tempted? Well, we later read in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in all points like us, but he didn't sin. But the reason was, if Jesus is the Son of God, 
but has no understanding of what it's like to be a human, then how could Jesus relate when people told him of their problems? He had to experience those kinds of things. And we see that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And if we talk about Jesus on the cross, that's the end of Jesus' life on the cross. And Jesus on the cross says, I thirst. This two words, as much as anything, shows us to me how much Jesus really was suffering. Because Jesus could have been sent to the earth with no humanly experiences. And you could have broke bones, but it wouldn't have been. That's not what happened. He was on the cross suffering. And that shows us the humanity of Jesus. He had been scourged. Remember the thing that Ben brought in a few weeks ago? The, 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 the cat of nine tails, I think that's what it's called. And how much that would have hurt. I mean, it scared me when Ben laid it down up here. It made a, or up here, it made a loud noise that startled me. You can't imagine being drunk with that. Imagine a crown of thorns shoved under your head. When you bleed, you dehydrate. When it's hot, you dehydrate. Jesus was thirsty because Jesus was suffering there on the cross. Six hours, the third hour to the ninth hour, we read in Mark chapter 15. But Jesus suffered so that you and I didn't have to. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Number six. Words of victory. In John chapter 19, verse 30, he says, It is finished. We read Luke chapter 19. Jesus came to do the will of the Father bringing about human redemption. How grateful should we be that Jesus was able to say it is finished. The price of redemption was paid. Whatever, whatever word you want to say. Victory was there. The victory was Christ over sin. Last one. Words of content. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is right before Jesus dies. Jesus had loved his Father, obeyed his Father, prayed to his Father, and as he breathes his last, He's committing, committing himself back to his father. That's an incredibly pretty picture. That connection of people right there. I hope that we have the same feelings toward our loved ones as Jesus did there. At the beginning, I gave you a famous Last word from Voltaire. Now is not the time to make enemies. The sixth president of the United States was John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams had been president. His father was president. He had served as a representative. He may have even been on the Supreme Court. I'd have to look at that just to be sure. But certainly one of the more famous people in American history. John Quincy Adams, when he died, said, This is the last of earth. I am content. 
Because Jesus died and did so much for us, we don't have to fret about those last days on earth. Whether we're 5, 50, or 100, none of us knows when our last day on earth is going to be, right? But we do know that we can follow in Jesus' footsteps. We can do what was told of us, ask of us, however you want to say, not told, but ask. And we can do all of this with hope of heaven when this life is over. When people are near death, and they can say what John Quincy Adams said, this is the end of earth, I am content, then those people know what awaits them. Jesus went through seven different sayings on the cross. He suffered. He was in anguish. But he also showed love and compassion and caring and ultimately contentment. These seven sayings of Jesus are things that we need to apply to our lives. Because we're probably never going to be on a cross. But we're faced with similar situations all the time. And our goal and our job and our task as a Christian should be to live in a way that would replicate or that would model after what Jesus did there as well. And know that we can be content, we can be comforted, and we can have a home in heaven when our life is over. So today, I hope that you have looked at these words and known that Jesus was not just going through the motions. But Jesus was going rather through the emotions that all of us go through in time. And the question being, <clears throat> why did he have to go through that? We're going to talk about that tonight. But the sayings that Jesus said, the things that he said, he was able to say because of what he did for us. So if there's anything that we can do, any way that we can help you, we'd invite you to come. Can we stand and say Hark the gentle voice of Jesus, Father, tenderly upon.